Amen. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> um, I've been battling with a, with a head cold and sinus for a, a while now. Um, I forgot my sinew tab at home, but Mr. Mange prayed for me outside, and that did the trick. Amen. Feeling strong and uh, ready to um, yeah, just share God's word with you this morning, what God's put on my heart. Um, I... <clears throat> I do have a matchstick moment to share, if I may. Um, in fact, it might be more like a candlestick moment, but amen. I don't want to abuse my position up here. No, but very short. Um, last weekend, Sunday was amazing. Don't you think? I mean, amen. Yeah, let's just say. And I had such a warm feeling in my heart the whole day and, in fact, the whole week. Now, I take pictures of that sort of thing, and they're family pictures. You know, my family knows. I, I look at them, and I capture them in folders. It was just an awesome day. And I'm just so um, encouraged by the, the sense of hospitality in this church. You know, hospitality is a, listed as a special gift for some people. But it seems like most of us, if not all of you, just have a gift of hospitality. And providing opportunities... To serve as we did, I think is so important as a church. Mm-hmm. I was thinking we must have a heritage day every month. Yes. <laughs> but to have something special and just to have people bring meals. I'm just putting it out there. Maybe we've got to do that more often. We can have like a communion meal in the middle here with a short communion message. It's awesome. Don't we connect well in, at times like that, eh? Amen. So I kind of get lots of nods and, you know. I think uh, Layla's looking a bit concerned there because she's going to have to cook a lot of food. And we'll keep it simple, right? We won't have such a fancy meal, but just simple meals together are so important. And I, I do pray that we're all accepting the, you know, the challenge to, um, to have someone over, um, to show hospitality. If you don't have a home, then arrange to meet somebody you know, outside of your home or just hijack a home, right? Just pitch up and say, hey, no, you like that, eh? Married couple, we're popping over later. Okay, there's a better way to do it than that, you know what I mean. But, but please remember just how important hospitality is. Jesus calls us to follow him, eating and drinking. Amen. So I just, it was an amazing uh, Sunday, one of the highlights of the year. And just makes me realize that we as a community and in smaller groups just need to do this more often. It's good for us, right? And it's, it's, uh, it's good for God and our relationship with him. It's good for us as, as a community. So we are concluding our series for now, a series called Follow Me, and for the last nine weeks we have been looking at different aspects of what it looks like to follow Jesus and to respond to his call. And when Jesus says, follow me, what is he actually saying? Uh, What is he calling us to do? And, you know, we've been repeating that to take up the call to follow Jesus means a willingness to reorient our lives to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And we've been talking about that, but I want to stress that the order of that is is really important. We can't just do what Jesus did without spending time with him and without allowing him to change us from the inside out. Um, You know, if we try to do that, if we just short-circuit it, shortcut it, and get out there and try to live as Jesus lived without spending time with him, without being energized by his spirit, without being guided, without getting the wisdom we need, then discouragement and burnout 
is on the way. Sooner or later, right, we can push through in our own strength, we can have a strong will to just do what we need to do, but it's not going to be sustainable. We also can't be happy just focusing on being with Jesus. You know, I'm having these awesome quiet times, I love solitude, I love going out into, the, into nature, I'm having a great prayer life, but then making it all about this relationship with Jesus being like him, and then stopping there and actually not changing anything, you know, and not doing what Jesus did. You know, that very passive form of Christianity focused on my personal relationship with God also isn't answering the call to follow me. Okay, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And the order is important, and we continue. It's a cycle. We continually make time to be with Jesus. We continually look for opportunities and input to become like Jesus. And we're continually looking for how we can live our life differently, what changes we can make to more reflect the life that Jesus lived. Amen. So today I'm going to speak about the call of Jesus to follow him into a cruciform life. Okay. Um, but what does this word cruciform mean? What do you guys think? You might, you might know it, but what does the word cruciform mean? Okay, definitely, that's part of it. Okay, cruci comes from crucifixion. The cross, cruciform, cross shape, yeah. Cruciform, to live a cruciform life is to live, it simply means, the word simply means to be conformed to the crucified Christ. Jesus calls us to a life that is being conformed to the crucified Jesus. It's a cross-shaped life. Let's jump in, right? Luke 9, we're going to be covering... Okay, we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, but you'll see there'll be one passage that we land on and, and focus more on. But let's just set the background here in the scene. Luke 9, from verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever, he, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, I remember in the first um, lesson in the series that, that, you know, that, I, that I started, one of the first points I made was that you know, Jesus would make a terrible used car salesman. Remember that? You know, I think your typical used car salesman will tell you everything that's great about the car. You'll be aware of some challenges and maybe some costs you're going to have to incur, you know, to get the car right. But many used car salesmen, I'm sorry, I don't want to label all of them, won't be completely honest about what this decision to buy the car involves. You know, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I, I sold my bucky, my old bucky that I was very attached to. Um, 15 years old, but hey man, time came. And um, there was, it was amazing because... I hadn't even advertised it. And a family, when I wasn't at home, stopped outside and asked Nolene if that buck is for sale, like just randomly. And uh, you know, gave the number. Off, and the guy came back that afternoon. There, there, there was a, a story behind it, that, you know, which I believe they desperately needed a bucky for the crash that they ran and, and, and the, the wife was in the car. And I sold it like half an hour later. But the amazing thing is that not the amazing thing. I, I like to think I'm honest. I pointed out all the problems to him. I said, you can't notice it, but there's actually rust on the roof and it leaks at the bottom. And 
Um, you know, the seat belt's broken at the bottom. And I pointed out all the problems. Oh, and the, and, the, and the window doesn't come up. As I was talking, I thought, man, I'm bringing my price down, not up here. But amen. <laughs> anyway, we like, what am I doing? Am I going to say, I will, I will give you 5,000 rand to take my bucky. If, if, I, if I carried on like that, I think, I think we were heading there. The guy made me an offer. It was less than I thought. And I said, amen. It sounds like it's going to be used for a good cause. And like, half an hour later, the money was in my account. Okay. And you know, these benefits, to be an honest, right? You know, I, I could have lied and held out for another 10,000. Right. Jesus wasn't a good salesman in the typical sense. And you didn't find that thousands and thousands of people took up the call to follow him. He had followers, he had people who who were interested, who looked from a distance, but he actually had very few committed followers. Jesus is honest. He says, follow me, but it's going to cost you. You need to deny yourself daily. It's a lifestyle, it's a daily lifestyle, it's choices we make. We need to take up, you need to take up your cross. Now, you know, we, we have definitely lost, you know, in, in our modern world, the understanding and appreciation for what, you know, Jesus was actually saying here. You know, I've heard some people speak about carrying their burden as a cross. You know, maybe a woman who's in a terrible marriage may say, well, that's just my cross I need to carry. I've got to carry that burden. But that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not carrying a burden. The cross back then, was associated with, with what? Death. Death. Yeah. You know, if we were living back then and you know, meeting as a church and we heard a commotion and we saw someone walking along Park Drive carrying a cross, that person was not taking building material to a site, right? It wasn't to build a wooden house. He wasn't about to construct some kind of a monument. It was, he was walking to his death. And the Romans perfected crucifixion. Nobody survived a crucifixion. There were tens of thousands of them probably. There isn't a, nobody survived a crucifixion. And it wasn't just any kind of death. It was the most horrific. It was the most humiliating. It was the most shameful death. And the Roman Empire invented, and sorry, they didn't invent, but they perfected crucifixion. Crucifixion had been around for hundreds of years. And the purpose of crucifixion was to deter people from disobeying the Roman Empire. It's just to, to prevent people from, from fighting back in any way, from even resisting you know, the, the empire. It was brutally efficient. You know, now it's very unlikely that any of us here will be crucified, you know, as Jesus was. It just doesn't happen nowadays, right? But to follow him, we, we must be willing to die. Meaning, we must be willing to no longer live for ourselves. I must, when I decided to follow Jesus, I understood very much. I, can't, I knew what this involved, and that's why it took a while, I think. I needed to be willing to lay down my wants, my desires, my worldly ambitions. My love of things and money and career. I needed to be willing to lay that down. And no longer live for myself, but to live for Christ. Now, Paul got this, and we're going to, we're going to reference a, a lot of Paul's writings, because Paul really understood and taught about living a cruciform life. In Galatians 2, verse 20, 
Paul writing, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He denied himself and he had taken up his cross. He had been crucified with Christ. What did his life look like? He exchanged his life for the life of Christ. The old Paul was dead. The new converted Paul had Christ living in him. You know, put differently, Paul's life was no longer about Paul being happy. It was no longer about Paul, I say being happy. It was no longer about Paul doing what Paul wanted to do. It was no longer about what Paul thought best. His life was now a life of obedient faith. His life was now focused on doing God's will, being like Jesus, and living in the obedience of faith as Jesus did. You know, can we say, or can you say what, what Paul said? You know, can, can you say it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me? You know, as followers of Jesus, who have genuinely responded to his call to follow him, we must at least be able to say, I am becoming more and more like Jesus. I am learning to set aside my selfish desires and my wants. I'm learning to surrender to Jesus and to let him use me to do his will more and more. We must at least be willing to say that, and we must at least be experiencing that kind of change. We've stressed throughout the series that this is a lifelong process, right? None of us is going to perfectly live only for Christ. None of us is going to perfectly put to death our selfish desires and wants. But we must at least be able to say, yes, I am a work in progress. And people should be able to see in us the changes in our character and how that is showing in a different life of no longer living for ourselves but living for Christ. Amen? Yeah. We also read this description of the cruciform life in Philippians chapter 2. Keep your finger in this because we are going to come back to it. Um, now Philippians 2 is probably the most complete passage of Scripture. It's probably the most complete description in one passage about what the cruciform <clears throat> life looks like. What the cross-shaped life looks like. Philippians 2 verse 3 to 4 we read, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, there is no place in cruciform living for selfish ambitions and thinking that we are more important than others. You know, a cruciform life also considers the interests of others. Yes, we've got to look after ourselves, right? But we prioritize the interests of others. That's what Jesus did. The cross is all about him putting the interests of others before himself. You know, it took a while for the closest disciples of Jesus to get this, which kind of gives me some comfort. Um, you know, these guys walked with Jesus. They fellowshiped with Jesus. They had table fellowship with Jesus. They, they heard him, they saw him live out this, this life. They, they heard him speak about him going to the cross. And he prepared them over and over that you also need to carry your cross. They knew, they should have known the life, you know, the cruciform life. 
Yet they didn't get it. They were slow learners. You know, we read in Mark chapter 9, you don't, you don't have to go there, but we, we, we read there that the disciples were arguing about which of them was the greatest. Now Jesus then, he patiently corrects them. He tells them that to be first, they needed to be last. And they needed to be the greatest servant of all. I wonder how they kind of chatted to each other after that, like, did you get that? I mean, what's Jesus talking about? In, in the society they lived in, I think it would have definitely overflowed even into the Jewish society. Man, there was like a hierarchy, you know, there was a social standing and status, there was a social ladder. And what's Jesus talking about? We've all got to be at the bottom. No, but Jesus explained this to them on a few occasions. And then, amazingly, in Mark 10, the very next chapter, and you can check the timing, it's soon afterwards, um, Mark 10 from verse 35 to 36. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Now at this stage, you know, considering how long they had been with Jesus, um, you know, we might kind of expect, you know, that they would ask something like, um, Teacher, help us to become more like you. Teacher, show what it means to live this cross-shaped life. Now, prepare us for carrying our cross. Help us to have the impact that, that you had. You know, you expect them to, to ask that. But what did they ask? Verse 37. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. These were positions of authority. They wanted to be with Jesus, you know? on either side as he ruled over you know, God's good creation. Guys didn't get it. And so Jesus just explains to them, oh, let, let's skip down, sorry, I want you to skip down to 41 as well. And when the ten heard it, okay, so I mean Mark 10 verse 41, and when the ten, the other ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And I think it wasn't so much that they were indignant that they didn't get you know, the cruciform life, they were indignant that they weren't included. And they also wanted to be up there with Jesus. Okay? And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, so once again, Jesus explains to them again what their lives need to look like to be his followers. Don't lord it over one another, he says. Um, you know, don't look for positions of, of authority. He says, greatness in the kingdom comes through being the greatest servant. And then he uses this term, Son of Man again. You know, there was a, uh, the title that he most used to describe himself. You guys might remember that the Son of Man refers to the, this figure in the prophecy in Daniel 7. It's the one who comes into the presence of God and who rules over God's good creation with all authority and glory. And he's ruling over a kingdom that will never end. So Jesus is saying, you know, even I, you know, I, th this is where I come from and this is my destiny. 
to rule with all authority and glory over an everlasting kingdom. Even I came to serve. You want to be my follower? You want to understand how to live your life? Become the greatest servant. Imitate me, says Jesus. Now, becoming nothing for the benefit of others is really what Jesus is saying. The disciples could have asked Jesus for anything. You know, Jesus says, tell me what you want. And, you know, I was thinking if, if Jesus had to come to me now and say, Neil, ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. What would be my instinctive response? And I'm asking you, think about that for a while. What would you ask Jesus for? Anything you want. I'm not going to ask you to share. If you want to share with somebody afterwards, you're welcome to. I would love to think that I would ask a kingdom prayer or a kingdom request. I would love to think that I would automatically just think of a bunch of people, you know, I, w- I would like to think that I wouldn't ask for anything selfish. But I'm not sure. Now, what's our instinctive response when someone with all power who can give us anything we want and he says, ask me and I'll give it to you. What do we think of? You know, so we can think of these disciples and say, oh, you know, how foolish they are. We can chuckle at them. You know, they're slow learners. They're selfish. But how would we respond? You know, what would you ask Jesus for? And I think that will give us a sense, give you and me a sense of the extent to which we have embraced the cruciform life. You know, the way of the cross. Are you trying to still to become the greatest and the best you can be? Not saying we shouldn't pursue excellence, but the question is why? What's the motivation for wanting greatness for ourselves? Is it for the benefit of the kingdom and the benefit for others? Or is it purely for us? Something to reflect on, right? Now getting back to Philippians 2, Paul makes the same point in Philippians 2 about sacrificial service being the center of a cruciform life. Let me continue reading from verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, this is such a rich passage, we could, we could speak forever on this, but, you know, Jesus, Jesus is God in the flesh. Um, he came to earth, though, as a fully human being to humbly serve to the point of laying down his life, to the point of dying on a Roman cross to save us. And we are to have the same mindset as that, you know, Paul says. Now, but if I can just put my Bible nerd cap on for a while, can I do that? Um, something really interesting about... Verse 5, now I don't know, I'm I'm reading from the ESV, yours might be slightly different, but it says, it's an encouragement to have this mind among yourselves, which is the same as Christ Jesus, or which is yours 
in Christ Jesus. And I've read different translations, and it seems very awkward the way it's written in some of them. And um, I, I was studying this out, and by the way, uh, th- this is from Michael Gorman. If you guys, those of you who like reading, published a book way back in, I think it was 2011, on cruciformity. So he, he points out that verse 5, it's apparently one of the most difficult verses to translate. Theologians have struggled with this translation for a long time. Firstly, in the original Greek, it's, it's very awkwardly written, but also there's a verb missing, apparently. Okay, So there's a verb missing, and they're not too sure what verb should go there, if it's in the sentence or, or in the context. And he makes a good case that we should actually read it like this. Like I'm going to read what it, what, what it says in the ESV. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says we should read it like this. Have this mindset in your community, which is indeed a community of Christ. Paul's main purpose here is it's about community. And it is a call for a community to live a Christ, a cruciform life, a cross-shaped life. And we can read this very, very individualistic, and, and obviously that's part of it. But he's saying that your community is, remember your community is indeed a community in Christ. And therefore your community must be growing in a cruciform life. You know, so church, you know, how are we doing in becoming the most cruciform or a very cruciform, sacrificial, serving church in our community. Now, if people interact with us, if people spend time with us, will they get that impression that, man, this community looks like the body of Christ. They're living, that they look like the cross. They feel like the cross. You know, the way they love and serve one another, but also the impact they're having out there. Being the light of the world, what distinguishes us is being cruciform in our community life. Being cross-shaped as a community. Let's look at a couple more you know, teachings of, of Paul, what he said about uh, living this life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1 to 2. Now the background there, you guys probably know, when Paul visited this church in Corinth, um, this church wasn't doing well at all. They were not living a cruciform life individually or as a community. The community looked just like the society in the world, even worse. With all the divisions, the strife, you know, the sin, serious sin. And Paul says that he, he came there with trembling. You know, he wasn't sure how he would be accepted. Um, but I'm just going to read these two verses, one to two. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You can apparently also read this. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ crucified. He knew Jesus Christ crucified. And, you know, you can imagine what must have been going through Paul's mind, the anxiety, you know, the disappointment that this church that he had helped to plant 
I don't know how long, maybe a decade or quite shortly afterwards, has just gone off the rails completely. He wasn't know how he would be accepted, but he, he went there with the singular focus. His singular focus was to live and demonstrate a cross-shaped life, a cruciform life. That's what he focused on. That was his singular focus. He said, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to speak with great wisdom. I'm not going to eloquently explain this and deal with everything. But you know what? My single focus is to live a cross-shaped life while I am with you. And you read through the, you know, the book and, and 2 Corinthians and you just see how amazing Paul was in addressing the, the divisions and he essentially called them to live a cruciformed life. To live not for yourself but to live for Jesus and to become a cruciform, a cross-shaped community. That's how the problems were, were addressed. And the lesson for me, uh, you know, and I can relate to this to some extent, Paul did not let what I would call ministry problems or life problems distract him from living a cruciform life. He had many challenges in his ministry he would refer to elsewhere. He was persecuted often, he was whipped, he was deserted by some of his co-workers, he was shipwrecked, I think twice. Um, he was thrown into jail a number of times. Um, he, wa- he was rejected, he was chased out of cities. Yet his singular focus through all of those struggles and challenges, was to live a cruciform life. You know how easily do we get distracted by what I would call curveballs? You know, by things going wrong, not working out as we'd like them to. You know, how do we respond when people reject us or hurt us? How do we respond when we are not appreciated or not understood when we hurt? You know, does it throw us off track? Do we give up trying to live as Jesus lived when life happens? Now, are we learning to persevere through our disappointments and our discouragements and our setbacks? You know, are we learning from them and are we still continuing to, to grow in the way of the cross? You know, the cruciform life regardless of what happens. You know, but how can we live such a life? It sounds pretty difficult, doesn't it? I mean, how do you do this? Um, it is difficult. In life, you know, the why is always important. We say that often in our church. The why. The motivation is always important. If we do things, whatever it is, if you do things for the right reason, chances are you're going to persevere through whatever and you're going to be successful in life if you do things for the right reason. In 2 Corinthians 5, from verse 14, Paul writing, and he's talking about his team, I think, of of co-workers, he and his team, maybe he's speaking for all the apostles, but it certainly is relevant to us. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul refers to dying five times here. Five times. And he says the love of Christ controls them. The love of Christ 
is what motivated them. The love of Christ is what guided them and directed them to live in the reality of the cross, the death of Christ, the love of Christ. You know, a while back, Nolene spoke, I can't remember which part of the series it was. Um, She gave a great lesson on follow me because of love. Remember that? It'll be great if you guys listen to that again. If you weren't here, please listen to that. I think it's so key to following Jesus, our motivation. We follow Jesus because of his love for us. And if we have any other motivation, you know, to follow Jesus, once again, it can last for a while. But unless we experience the fullness of Jesus and his love, unless we are starting to at least grasp the, the breadth and the length and the, the heights and the depths of the love that surpasses understanding, Paul says in Ephesians 3, unless we get that, we cannot live a cruciform life. We cannot live in the reality of Jesus on the cross. You know, so we need to be motivated, as Paul was, by, by the love of Christ to, to take up the call you know, that Jesus says, follow me into a cruciform life. Um, if we do not understand and experience and grow in the love of Christ in us, we, we, we're simply not going to be able to live, live this life. And um, I was thinking of, you know, my relationship with, with Nolene and to know and experience Nolene's love for me and vice versa, we need to spend time. You know, um, The more time we spend, the more we appreciate one another and we experience our love for each other. And it's the same with, with Jesus. We To experience the love of Jesus requires us to be with him. I want to stress that. I said that in the beginning. But if we do not discipline ourselves, if we not, do not get into the habits and practices that we, we need, if we do not in our busy schedules take our time to be with Jesus, we are not going to know him and experience and fully understand the, the love for us. And without that motivation, we are not going to be live. We're not going to be able to live as followers of Jesus. And there are many ways to to spend time with Jesus, to be with Jesus. You know, prayer time, times of solitude, being out in nature, meditating on Scripture, uh, being in Bible study. You know, that works for me because the way I'm wired. You know, just being in the Scriptures. Um, certainly helps me to connect with Jesus and to understand his, his amazing love you know, for us. Um, you know, when we um, go to the communion table now, we must remember that Jesus instituted this meal. Um, and he said that this is a, it's a meal with him. Although Jesus is not physically here, whenever... You know, we eat the bread and take of, of the fruit of the vine representing his blood. We, we remember him. And certainly the, you know, the, the Jews and, and the early Christians believed with absolute certainty that when they had meals together, remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he was there. 
So I want to encourage us when we take communion, and this is, of, this is a very small part of it, but let's see it as being with Jesus. Now this is one of many ways that we can and should be with Jesus. But a communion meal, and what was so great about last Sunday, that kind of meal we had, man, I experienced the presence of Jesus there. I don't know about you. You know, my heart was filled with joy, and man, this is Jesus' community. Jesus is here. You know, his spirit is working amongst us. And so I encourage us when we, when we have fellowship with one another, meal fellowship with one another, when we take communion as we do now, to see this as being with Jesus. Okay? And that we do it expecting that. And that as we do it, we, we will experience the, the, the fellowship and the love of Jesus. And that will strengthen us to, to live as, as he lived. And to take up the challenge of living a cruciform life. And we have also spoken in this series about the blessings of following Jesus. And the cruciform life has many blessings. You know, community to me is the biggest blessing of all. There are blessings in this age and in the age to come. The, the cross is a precursor to the resurrection. Remember that. It doesn't end on Friday. Okay, Sundays are coming. Remember that? Okay? And we live as Sunday people in a Friday world. All of these things are coming back now. And that's important as a cruciform life. It, the world's a Friday world. The world's stuck in Friday. You know, there's hurt, there's divisions, there's pain, there's suffering. But we know that Sunday's coming. And part of living a cruciform life is living that hope. And we remember not just the death, but the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is with us. Amen. Let's pray.